I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. And today I want to talk to you about the new covenant priests. The new covenant priest. And one of the beautiful things about the book of Hebrews is that it goes into detail about how much better Jesus is than really everything else. Jesus is just better than everything else. But it specifically begins to contrast Jesus and Moses, and it contrasts the new covenant with the old covenant. And Hebrews reveals to us that Jesus is better than Moses, and the new covenant is better than the old covenant. There's a lot of people who think that the new covenant is a continuation of the old covenant, but it is not. Actually, they are very, very different, as you're going to see this morning. And it's not just my opinion of that. We're going to read the scriptures, and we love to study God's word. So if we're going to get come to Hebrews, I want us to begin in Luke chapter 5. And I want to read, beginning in verse 36, Jesus spoke this parable to them. No man puts a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new makes a rent or tear. And the piece that was taken out of the new agrees not with the old. And no man puts new wine into old bottles. Or else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled. And the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles And both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desires new. For he saith the old is better. He's just talking about the difference. You don't mix the two. In Galatians chapter 5. Paul in his great epistle that is fighting for the new covenant. um, To to be enough for believers. He says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect to you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. You cannot seek your righteousness with God through the law and through Christ. If you try, and and he just used the most elementary subject of circumcision. And if you attempt... To find your sanctification through the law of Moses. Then Jesus profits you nothing. It's very serious. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And so we have been given as as believers and through the new birth, we have been given the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life is not so much what God gives you. God gives you himself. And in him is eternal life. And that gift of God is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes into your life sanctifying you. He is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. But it does not appear what you shall be. 
But when you see him, you will be like him, for you will see him as he is. This is the work of God. This is the salvation of the Lord. So, verse 5, by the Spirit, we wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We're living in faith. Faith is the evidence of things we have not seen, the substance of what we're hoping for. We hope to be like Jesus. We believe to be like Jesus. But we are all too aware right now how unlike Jesus we are. Therefore, what do we do? We continue to live by faith and we continue to have intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit because it is by the Spirit or through the Spirit that we wait for this hope of righteousness. We're waiting for it. We're believing it to happen. We're being conformed to His image as we speak. But there's going to be this great transformation in our life when we see him and we shall be like him. And that's why we're hoping and waiting for that. And none of us in this room by any means are perfect. But we believe in the perfectness of the saint through the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 11, Paul says this, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. And so Paul was simply saying, the reason I am suffering persecution is because I'm preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. If I was preaching the law, I would not suffer. But I'm not preaching the law. I'm preaching the cross of Jesus. And because of that, I'm suffering persecution. And so the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is fundamental. It is fundamental. It, it is really elementary, but it is shocking to understand how few people that are in churches today have, an, a, have a concept of how different the old and the new covenant truly are. So for, for the word of God to tell us, let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 8. And I want you to see it. And while you're turning there, just remember, you cannot be justified by the law it is not going to happen. The law is going to bring your condemnation. And the law represents the old covenant. And grace represents the new covenant. And so in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. So there was a seeking for the second. Because the first is with fault. And the fault is not with the law, right? The law is good and holy and spiritual. The problem is with us. We are fallen and we are corrupt and we cannot keep the law. We've broken the law. And so that is the, that is the issue. So in verse 8, for finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. I'm going to make a new covenant. It is not according to the old covenant. It is different. And this is what we must understand. And so because, and he begins to describe this difference, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. They broke the law, 
They did not keep their promises. They did not keep their vows. And so I had to deal with them harshly. Regard them not. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. So this is the new covenant. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. So the new covenant is basically telling us it's not according to the old covenant. And under the old covenant, when my people broke covenant with me, I could not regard them. I had to deal harshly with them. But in this new covenant, I'm going to do something inwardly, not just outwardly. But I am going to write in their minds and I am going to write in their hearts, not on a table of stone, but I'm going to do something in the very nature of who and what they are. This is the coming of the Holy Spirit to our life where he lives in us and now he becomes our teacher and our instructor from within, not on a tablet of stone that we're trying to do. But now we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, the new life of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 11, they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be, he couldn't do this in the old covenant. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In the old covenant, I covered their sins. In, in the new covenant, I will remove them. And I will be merciful to them when they, when they fail. Or when they transgress, I will be merciful to their iniquities or their unrighteousness. Verse 13, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first old. Now that which decays and wax old is ready to vanish away. In other words, you got to let the old covenant go. Now he goes into this and he tells us in chapter 10 verse 9. Then said he, this is referencing Jesus when he came to earth then said he, lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that's the old covenant, that he may establish the second, that's the new covenant. I'm not establishing the new covenant on top of the old covenant. If the new covenant is to be implemented, I must remove the old covenant. I have to take it out of the way because I'm not building upon it. This is something totally different from it. And so I have to remove this. Now, the, the necessity of removing it is that the righteousness of God has to be fulfilled. And so God cannot ignore the demands of the law. The demands of the law have to be fulfilled. Therefore, the man, Christ Jesus, who is eternal God, become man... But he came to earth and he was, and he lived as a man. He was a man. The man Christ Jesus fulfilled everything the law demanded. 
And he fulfilled it for man. And he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, those laws that were written and contrary to our nature, they were nailed with him on the cross. So he removed it. He took it out of the way. So he now could establish a new covenant that would exist between himself and his father. Therefore, when we're born again, we come into Christ. And coming into Christ, we enter into the new covenant by birth. And his sin was imputed to all of Adam's children. Righteousness is imputed to all of Jesus' children. And this is what God has done for us. And this is what he does through this. This expresses the very heart of God. That I can now deal with you mercifully, powerfully, and intrinsically within your nature. I can do things in you. In other words, God has legal rights to come to the sinner and do things for the sinner they cannot do for themselves. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 1 that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. God can be just and justify the sinner. Because if there wasn't a means of justifying the sinner, but God just simply saying, I'm going to pretend you didn't do it, that's not justice. Justice demands judgment upon sin. And so God judged sin. He judged us completely in the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything we did, everything we are, everything we would do was in Christ on the cross. He bore our sins. God judged us completely. And now that judgment is over. And now God can be just to be merciful to us and to be gracious to us. And to help us. And to come and live inside of us and really be our God. And for us to be his people, God God can now do these things for us. This is not just sound theology. This is the heart of God. This is God's desire. And God is illuminating the desires of his heart for man. And his marvelous wisdom and redemption. And redeeming this fallen race of Adam is absolutely amazing. Just read in, in the end of Romans 11 how Paul is just floored by the wisdom and the mercy and the brilliance of God to devise redemption the way that he did. This is God's great undertaking. This is God's great desire. This is God's passion. As he says, I don't have to deal with you according to the law anymore. Now I could be merciful. To your unrighteousness. You cannot put this new covenant into the old covenant. You cannot mix the two together or you lose everything. They are separate and they must be. And it is a miracle according to 2 Corinthians 3. It is a miracle of the Holy Spirit by which a person can go from the old covenant into the new covenant. The simplicity of this is absolutely so profound That it takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit's revelation to get from the old covenant to the new covenant. Takes a miracle. And pray to God that miracle happens in all of our lives. A brand new wineskin must be used. Therefore, there must be a change of priesthood. There can be no mixture or everything is lost. 
So Jesus now is a priest in this new covenant. He is the high priest in this new covenant. Not according to the Levitical priesthood. But by the declaration and the oath of his father in heaven, you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not the Levites. And because this Jesus is the high priest who will never die, then this covenant will never end. It is eternal. And Jesus is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God by him. So what difference does the new covenant make? The new covenant is so radical and profound that God raised Jesus from the dead to commemorate this profound redemption. And Jesus now lives as the testator of the new covenant. He has fulfilled all of the demands. So what happens to us who have come into Christ and we have the new birth? What is our life? What is our ministry now? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to just go through a few of these scriptures Some of them might be a little bit redundant, but I think it is important for clarity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is our new life and our new identity and our great privilege and honor. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26, For you see your calling, brothers, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world. And the things which are despised has God chosen. So can God use you? Do you fit into any of those categories? Foolish? Weak? Base, despised. But how many people don't understand this in our churches? How many believers don't understand this? We're constantly disqualifying ourselves because we say, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not holy enough. But that's not the, the necessarily the ones God is choosing. He can choose those and he does choose some of those. That might be very intelligent. That might be very honorable among men. It doesn't say he won't choose those. But the choice of God is people like us. Weak, despised, broken, base. And he's chosen us these things which are not. To bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say you will be. It says you are if you're born again. If you're not born again, you're not this. But if you're born again, you are in Christ Jesus, who of God, God did this, who is made to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Did you get that? And yet, so many people are striving and laboring with the feverishness of their flesh to be something before God when God, by himself, made Jesus for you. 
to be your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification, your redemption. You can rest if you have that revelation. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Just absolutely beautiful. In Revelation chapter 1, I'm not going to read that for the sake of time, but it says that Jesus has made us kings and priests unto God. We've studied for about five weeks about what it means to be a king. And today we're going to study a little bit about the priest. And so he has made us kings and priests unto God. It is not the many that are mighty, but those that are typically weak and frail and base and despise that God chooses. Why? Because it would be of God and not of us that we would not be glorying in ourselves, or glorying in our flesh, but our glory would be in the Lord who gave us the strength and the power and the grace to do this. As a matter of fact, Romans 5.17 says this, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to be really kings unto God and priests unto God, then the means by which we do it is by the abundance of grace. Romans 5, 17. If you want to reign in life, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And it's not what you can do, it's who you are. Who he has made unto you. And if you want to reign in life, there are two things that you have to have. You have to have the gift of righteousness, which is the new birth, and the abundance of grace, which is the activity and the energy and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. In every regard that the believer would need, it is the Holy Spirit's work. What could I want for you? What could I desire for you more? Than the abundance of grace of God in your life, in your homes, in your lives, in your relationships, in your marriages, in your children, in our church. The abundance of grace. Not a whip compelling you to do more. Not fear trying to strike in you some type of manipulation. But the compelling of love. For grace or faith works by love. As I said last week, it's not necessarily more faith we need. It's more love. Because without love, faith can't work. And if we want the faith to work, we need love. So I want to go to this today in 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter gives us information about our life and our calling as well. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says some marvelous things. They're they're. They're not strange to us, but they were incredibly strange to the Jews in Peter's day. Um, this was very heretical, if you will, when Peter would say these things in his day. They would actually take his life and crucify him upside down because of these things that he said. But this is what the new covenant does. And so I want you to see this. In First Peter chapter 2. And we're going to come into this particular part in verse 5. You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God 
by Jesus Christ. So listen to that verse 5. You're a living stone. You're not a dead one. There's a lot of dead stones that congregate in the name of Jesus Christ, but they're dead stones. But you're not a dead stone. You're a living stone. And what is the purpose of that stone? You help complete the house of the Lord. It is a spiritual house. You help complete that. This is what you're born into. This, this is something that you committed yourself to when you said Jesus was Lord. And so you're the spiritual house. He also says you're a holy priesthood. What does this holy priesthood do? We're not Levitical priests. We're priests through Jesus Christ and the order that God has given him. So what does this priesthood do? It offers up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. What do these sacrifices look like? Well, I will tell you this. They look very different in heaven than what they look like typically from, quote, Christians on earth. If you look at the priesthood functioning in heaven compared to the priesthood functioning on earth, you would find very great differences. As in heaven, it is extremely loud. The noise is roaring loud. The people are laying on the floor before the throne of God. They are shouting. They are exclaiming the glory of God. They are lifting their hands. They are praising God. They are exuberant in the presence of God. You don't see that much in Christians on earth. But let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we would understand our priesthood, then we would understand that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And it goes on to tell us that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is elect and precious. And he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. He is precious to you if you believe. He's more precious than your life. He's more precious than America. He's more precious than what people around you are going to think when you want to worship him in the power of the Holy Spirit. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Listen to this. But you, again, priesthood, you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a kingly priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And here it is again, spiritual sacrifices, that you should speak the praises of him, that you should echo within your heart the praises of him. No, that you should show forth the praises of him for God's sake. He called you out of darkness into his light. What more do we need? To show the praises of God in a corrupt and condemned world. So that more and more people would come to Christ. 
to be living stones and not dead ones. You in time past were not even a people, but now you're God's people. You didn't have mercy, but now you have been given or obtained mercy. It is from this. It is from this mercy and being God's people. It is from this that you are no longer in darkness, but you are in light. It is from this that motivates you to be a priest to God and show forth his praise as they do in heaven. Holy Ghost, help us to do it on earth. Let us be alive unto God and let men say what they will. Don't kill the church of Jesus Christ. But let the church of Jesus Christ live and thrive by the power of the Holy Spirit who is in our life. I've been thinking of this so much about the kingdom of God and the church is to me like outpost of the kingdom of God scattered throughout the world. An outpost that here and there and over there and in that country and in this country and in that city, there are outposts of God's kingdom which are called churches. Where the light is to shine. And people that are without mercy can come into those outposts and find mercy. And I believe it is our responsibility as the kings and the priests to maintain and to keep the viable expression of the kingdom of God in these outposts or places called church. It is to be a representation of what it's like in heaven, not what it's like on earth. I don't care what the Baptists do or the Pentecostals do or the Methodists do or the Independents. It doesn't matter. What does this say to do? What does the Holy Spirit want to do? And may we as the priest of God maintain the viable expression of what God's kingdom really is. As he brought this down to men. And so I just want to give you a few things as I close about this priesthood. Number one. We are given direct access to the Father. That is incredible. Not only are we given direct access to the Father, but the Father actually lives in us. We are given the invitation to incredible intimacy and communion with God himself. And because the Holy Spirit has come into us, we are given the capacity... And the ability to know God who is unknowing. We are given the ability to experience his love. Which is beyond our physical ability to comprehend it by the Holy Spirit. And so this is part of our priesthood. Direct access to the Father. Jesus said this. At that day you shall ask in my name. And I say unto you that I will pray the Father for you. I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. This was so radical. This is not the old covenant. This is the new covenant. And the old covenant, it was the Levites and the priests that could go to God and talk to God and try to find mercy from God on behalf of the people. But in this new covenant, you're all welcome to come. 
You're all welcome to be there before the Father. So the invitation of Hebrews stands. Therefore, come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy. Come by new and a living way into the presence of God. Books and studies, religion were all common practice before Pentecost. But with this new priesthood, we see something new on the earth. It's corporate prayer. The most neglected thing in the house of God. But one of the central things of new covenant ministry and priesthood. In times of panic, in times of tragedy, in times of calamity, it was not uncommon for a judge or a king or a priest in Israel to call a national day of humiliation and repentance. But it was the priest who prayed. Jesus held no prayer meetings. He prayed. And his believers sure wanted to know how to pray, but we find nowhere in the Bible that they were holding prayer meetings. He gave his disciples a form of prayer, but there is no record of a fellowship of prayer. They didn't have this access to God yet. But we are given a name. I give you my name. And now you go directly to the Father in my name. Jesus actually said in John 16, 23, at that day, you shall ask in my name. Because I am about to do something that's going to take the old covenant away and establish a new covenant where whosoever will can come now. And at that day, you can go to the Father in my name and ask him whatever you will, and it'll be done for you. Tremendous, absolutely marvelous. What does this mean to use the name of Jesus? Well, we typically just put it at the end of our prayer. Somehow we think if we just say, in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of our prayer, then everything we just prayed is going to be ours. And that's not the intent at all. That's just religion again, sticking its head up. So what does it mean? It means this, that in the Old Testament, God established covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These were the patriarchs of the nation. And so because these were the patriarchs of the nation, God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that would extend to their children. And so when the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob prayed, they would come to God in the, the name of their patriarchal fathers. And they would pray or they would cry out through the priest, something along this line, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. And the priest would make the request to God on behalf of the nation. And because God had made covenant promises with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and because these men had fulfilled things that God wanted, God would enact on their behalf to give to his rebellious children of Israel the basis of those things. But it was never guaranteed because sometimes their sins and their iniquities would cancel those out. And they would go into calamity, they would go into God's wrath, or they would go into God's judgment and they were never quite certain they were never quite sure but in the new testament and under the new covenant the bible says the promises are in him yes and amen yes and amen and so when jesus gives us his name to pray in 
that he's given us this access to God that is not through Abraham and it's not through Isaac and it's not through Jacob. And it's not on the basis of old covenant promises, but it's on the basis of a new covenant. And that new covenant that has been given and gained through my life, that whatever you come to the Father through me, through my name, through my covenant relationship with my Father, on behalf of mankind, when you come to him through me, the answer is yes, let it be. Let it be. If we just had the faith to believe that. To be intimate with the Father. To commune with the Father. And to dwell with Him. There are many passages of Scripture where Jesus tells us to pray in His name. And I'm sure that you are familiar with many of those. A second thing about our priesthood is we are given authority to affect spiritual and physical kingdoms. We're given the authority to affect spiritual and physical kingdoms. The anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. He alone is the means for communion with the Father and the expression of Jesus' life in us. This is in Ephesians chapter 3. That you would be strengthened in your inner man. I have come to see, and this is nothing new. I, I believe it has been the trial in every generation. I like to read about history. I like to read about church history. I'm, I'm a poor student of it, but I like to read about it. And I can just simply tell you this, that the struggle to pray or the ability to pray or to truly pray, I believe that and the baptism in the Holy Spirit have been two of the most demonically assaulted activities within the church of Jesus Christ. Because you really can't separate the two. After after the resurrection, after the ascension, and after Pentecost, you find something happening on the earth that you never saw before. You saw people gathering together in prayer meetings. And the church, as it was gathering in prayer meetings, was affecting the world and principalities and powers. They prayed Peter out of jail. And it wasn't through this hyper-faith, word-of-faith movement that they did it. They slammed the door in his face when he was knocking to get in. They were shocked. It can't be Peter. It's a ghost. There was no way. But it was him. But they prayed. And they prayed in the name of Jesus. And they were praying at Pentecost. And you see this fundamental thing that has happened. Is it the practice of your life? Are you enthusiastic in your worship and your, in your celebration of God? Are you enthusiastic in showing forth the praise of God? If you're a priest, you are. If you're a priest, you're not. And if you're a priest, you also enjoy the communion with your Father through the Holy Spirit that you can actually affect both physical and spiritual kingdoms on the earth. It is not by you being a rogue enforcer of things. It is by your communion with the Father through the Holy Spirit. God shows you things because you're a priest. You talk to him and he talks to you and he shows you things that he desires. In my travels, it has been one of the greatest tra tragedies or travesties that I've witnessed. The multitude of people, the multitude of people. And there are many people here in our church. They have no clue what the church is. What the church does, and I'm not talking about our church. What the church is, what the church does, 
the potential of that church and the call of that church of Jesus Christ. Most people in America have been so conditioned traditionally that the church in America resembles very little of that part of the church that's in heaven. There is a gross disconnect. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving. We're watching it and we're seeing it happen in very many places where the connection between heaven and earth has become open. And there is a great outpouring of God's Spirit and there is a great authority now when believers are praying. Just Wednesday, just Tuesday night, we had a youth who had damaged his leg and he was moving about on crutches. And some of the youth groups said, I didn't feel anything. I've just been taught here in the church to pray. So we went over to him. We laid hands on him. We prayed for him. And immediately he put his crutches away. He was healed. Praise God. The agreement with God. The walking with God. If we are not operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and if we are not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, then the priesthood of Jesus on earth is grossly lacking, and the church does not resemble what Jesus died to have. And I say to you, call you'd come up, and I say to you, if you would, would you take a few minutes, just a couple of minutes while she plays and we worship, And just examine your heart as a priest unto God. Are you a priest? Are you? Are you actively involved in making sure the church is the expression of Jesus' heart on earth as it is in heaven? Are you communing with the Father in such intimacy that you have authority over principalities and powers and natural forces and powers on earth? Are the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating through your life? Are they? Is the fruit of the Spirit demonstrated through your life? Is it? So just for the next few minutes, if you will, let's pray. If you want to come to the altars, you can. We'll just take a moment and let God just deal with your heart. This is the greatest call. This is your calling. This is your election. He didn't choose many that are mighty and intellectual and strong. Many are weak and despised and base and They need the help of God. They need the help of God's grace. And God gives that to them. Your families are waiting on the priesthood of Jesus through your life. Give that to him today.